Joining us on the line to discuss this a little bit further, of course, uh, we've got uh, Leila Ali, Ali Karami. Uh, hopefully I'm saying your name right, Leila. Leila is a, a lawyer and a human rights activist. Uh, she's worked in Iran extensively, and she joins us on the line from London. Leila, very good morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Very good morning to you and the audience. Uh, we've also got Gail Masondo, who's uh, an experienced speaker, an author, a chaplain, a life in recovery coach as well. Uh, Gail's going to talk to us uh, about following your heart and, and what it means to be on a journey of happiness for a woman. Gail, a very good morning. Thanks for joining us as well. Good morning to you too. Um, thanks for having me. We were hoping to uh, also be joined by a third powerful woman on, on this panel. Unfortunately, you do have to deal with me as uh, the third person here. Ladies. <laughs> but you, uh, we were also expecting uh, Minister Lulu Ngwana to join us. That's uh, South Africa's Department of uh, Minister of uh, the Women, Hi. Children, and uh, People with Disability. Unfortunately, she is in the United States. She's uh, attending the United Nations uh, Commission on the Status of Women, which uh, meets today. Unfortunately, with the seven our time difference, despite getting a guarantee that the minister would join us today uh, at 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, effectively what it is there in the United States right now, uh, they've told us uh, she's unavailable to, to join us on this very important day. Uh, a great pity that we're going to miss out uh, on the minister's comments uh, on, a, on a day like today, when I, I guess it's a day for role models quite often as well. Um, yeah. Lena, if I, if I can start with you, of course, because I guess one of the things that we have to recognize is this is an international day. It's not something we're just celebrating here in South Africa, or recognizing even in South Africa. But, uh, you know, perhaps that's a question that I'd like to ask you is, should we be celebrating this day? Is, is it a celebratory day that we should be experiencing? Yes, we should celebrate this day because, you know, after a long struggle of women, uh, the women have for gender equality, for their rights, you know, at least the world recognized uh, their struggle and said that, yes, we, are, we know that you are fighting for your rights and you are supporting women. That's why we, we need to celebrate this day. But still, there's lots of work that we should do and women should do for their, uh, you know, for their struggle for gender equality. And but you're doing a lot of that work. You're doing a lot of that work that you that you talk about now. There's uh, a number of laws that exist around the world that that even today it's 2013 and we still have laws that that discriminate against women purely based on your gender. Not you know we we've managed to overcome so many other things, but it seems gender inequality still exists and persists in the world. Mm, yes, and you know you talk in my country. Uh, I I, I, uh, I need to say that women cannot celebrate the 8th of March because they're gathering considered to be a threat to the national security. Uh, but this doesn't mean that, you know, women in my country are not aware of the discriminatory law that, you know, exists against them mm. and they are not fighting or struggling for it. Uh, and they they celebrating in their homes and uh, they're uh, challenging the government uh, for this uh, discriminatory law against them and ask uh, the Iranian government uh, to respect their equal rights for them and grant them equal rights. This is very, uh, you know, this uh, the law that discriminates against women is not in line uh, with the situation of women. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, not in Iran, in many other countries, um, still there are laws that discriminate against women. And this is the one, the, the first step uh, that, uh, you know, women should have equal rights with men. But uh, 
unfortunately, this is not happening in some countries mm. like Iran. Well, I, I, for example, I know the Iranian criminal code says uh, a woman's life is worth half of a man's life in, in terms of a, any compensation that would be known a, a, as blood money paid to the family of a, of a murdered individual. Uh, a Muslim woman couldn't marry a, a non-Muslim man, but an Iranian man can can marry whoever they you know he or she he would like to. Uh, you know, in mm. civil law, an Iranian girl mm. is is not even free to choose who her own husband could be. It it has to be by her fa- her father or parental guardian, regardless of her age. So even you, a, a grown woman, uh, your father or parental guardian would have to choose who you would marry. Yes, and the, you know, to, to add to this, I can say the age of criminal responsibility uh, for girls is nine years old in Iran. And uh, there is a, you know, the law about divorce, inheritance, and so many other laws that discriminate against women. And, this, and sadly, this law discrimination happened in a country that 65% of university students are women. You know, it means that women are educated, they are active in public life, and they are, uh, you know, they're suffering from these discriminatory laws because these laws are not in line with their social status. And when they uh, started to challenge this law because they think that this kind of law is against our uh, dignity, it's a uh, violates our rights, they will be charged by threatening national security, they will be put in jail and they will be received, you know, as a severe punishment, like a long-term imprisonment. This is very uh, awful. Mm. Uh, Leila, of course, uh, joins us on the line from London, an activist uh, on the show with us this morning and a, a lawyer as well, talking to us a little bit about where uh, human rights injustices still occur, where gender equity is still uh, something that's a dream and still hopeful. Uh, Iran, one of the countries that we're focusing on today uh, when we talk about uh, gender equity and equality around the world. Gail Masondo also joins uh, me on the line and uh, I'd like to introduce you into the conversation, Gail, as well. You, you have an amazing story and I'd like you to tell us a little bit about it. Um, you know, you were uh, early in your music career when something really difficult happened to you. Just tell us what happened. Um, I'm not sure exactly um, uh, what you're speaking about when uh, you say something difficult. The, the, the little-known disease that uh, that almost beat you. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, I was diagnosed, actually diagnosed here in South Africa. I was here on a business trip. My first trip, actually, and um, got ill and was sent to um, Sanson Clinic and um, had an intestinal blockage, which um, ended up with eight inches of my intestines being removed and then having um, discovered that I had the disease sarcoidosis. And over maybe an 18-month period of treatment, it finally got to a point where I was given six months to live because the disease had um, entered into my liver, my spleen, and into my lungs. And so uh, my first few years living here in South Africa uh, was really a touch-and-go, you know, experience. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful that um, I'm here today. And you managed, able to, you um, to overcome. celebrate the fact that I think what we're celebrating when we, you know, your, your your first question was, should we be celebrating? I think what we're we're acknowledging the fact that um, the girl child and women and children, but the girl child in particular, um, we want to celebrate the fact that because we're still having more 
girl babies born each year, <laughs> that there's a reason for us being here. But I think when you talk about celebration as far as popping, um, you know, balloons flying in the air and popping wine mm. bottles, I don't think that that's what we're talking about when we talk about celebrating. Mm. I think we're acknowledging the fact that more needs to happen, um, that the girl child, that women across this globe feel like they are equal um, in mind, body, and spirit, and treat it with dignity and respect. If you'd like to give us a call in and join in the conversation with uh, two very powerful women that are joining us on the panel today, uh, lawyer and human rights activist uh, Leila Ali Karami and Gelma Sonder, an experienced speaker, author, and a chaplain. If you'd like to call in 0891 SMSs can be sent to 34701, and that's our hotline number. It does cost two rand to send those SMSs through. We do have a caller on the line, Sam, uh, from the National Council of Women. Sam, good morning. Hi, it's Fran. Oh, Fran, um, hi. Sorry about that, I've just been reading an article in the Weekly Telegraph, which I think could give a lesson for South Africa, and that is on meeting rape targets. Now, we know we have quotas for police stations, and it seems it's the same sort of thing in mm. England or in Britain. And uh, the article, which is called Rape Squad Pressurized Victims to Drop Cases in Order to Hit mm. Targets, says that, in fact, what should be happening is instead of trying to meet targets as a measure of success, rather focusing on the outcome for the victim, resulted otherwise it results in police losing sight mm. of what policing is about. And I think this is perhaps a positive lesson for South Africa. We, in fact, unfortunately at the moment seem to have a problem with a shortage of rape kits, and this is the kind of thing that should not be allowed to happen because this also um, goes into the, the trying to uh, show, you know, less cases being reported because if you can't have a rape kit and you can't process the uh, report, unfortunately, you also end up with a victim who is not, whose needs are not mm. met. Fran, thank you very much for calling in. Fran uh, from the National <laughs> Council of Women there. Uh, I guess saying that we re really should shift the focus, uh, even even if, if it is policing, shifting the focus from the statistics, from the reporting of the crime, to now dealing with the victim, the person, this human life that was affected by it. Uh, Gail, is that something that you think could help? Uh, you know, I know it takes us a little bit further as we talk a little bit more now about gender-based violence, but is, is that something that uh, you think could work? You know, um, we, we, we were looking at the news report about the little girl in America who was born with HIV mm. and, and was put on antivirals immediately, so the, the, you know, the media states, and then her um, diagnosis was reversed. Um, I was thinking, you know, if we can find cures, if we're so we're, we're busy looking for cures for what happens to the um, to the body, uh, HIV, cancers, autoimmune diseases such as the one I had, it, it would be so important for us to find a cure against violence uh, against women. You know, to when you when 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 our police stations. Um, are lacking in counselors being on staff and la lacking with uh, rape kits. That that's that's really um, that that's really saying that in in some ways that we don't matter. You know, when a, mm. when a rape victim comes into a police station, 
used to be counseled or come, you know, she used to be counseled. She is, um, you know, uh, she needs to feel like she is entering a place of safety as opposed to a place of judgment. And um, these kind of stories just continue year in, year out. And it, it, it is time, I suppose. It is time if we can... Um, band together and just say, you know, enough is enough. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad report to think that, um, any girl child today living in South Africa or living globally, I don't know what the police kit situation is in the rest of the world, but I live in Johannesburg and I live in South Africa. And when I saw that news, um, report, you know, no kids uh, or less kids, or low kids. Um, that's a sad commentary for how we are uh, viewing ourselves. Um, maybe we as women are not speaking up enough. Well, that's what I was going to um, ask you. I, you know, mm. to play devil's advocate, uh, you know, perhaps on an issue like this, and I, I know it may be offensive because the question comes from a man, but uh, you know, are, are women to blame in some way for for undermining? The process, undermining the rights of women by not speaking out. You know, we often say those, you know, those who are most guilty are the silent. I wouldn't use the word blame, but I would say that um, it's it's an opportunity. You know, we see something like this in the news uh, made made, um, known. It's an opportunity for us to band together and say, you know, this is not right. We've banded together. This country is known for toy touring, for all sorts of things, and um, and it's not because women in the past haven't cried out. We 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 have had women who have cried out against the atrocities of women, um, but there's more that we can all can do. There's more that we always can do to bring attention to our plight, um, to to speak up. And, um, it, you know, it would be interesting to know that rather than a select group of women getting the report that comes out of the U.N. this week, that there would be more of us that are involved in uh, whether it's town meetings, whether it is, um, you know, speaking out, given the platform we're given today on SAFM, we thank you. But there needs mm. to be more conversation. Well, Leila, um, I, w- I want to take the conversation mm. to you for a second, Leila, because... You know, you were also part of a campaign to 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 get women uh, into a national conversation ar- around issues. Uh, the One Million Signatures campaign uh, awarded a, a number of uh, awards because of its work. Uh, tell us, tell us what you managed to achieve. And with the campaign, we aim to raise awareness about the discrimination law against women in Iran. And then, a, our aim was to talk with people to uh, teach them. And you know the nature and the concept of this discriminatory law, and to because you know when people don't know about uh, the the law or mm. don't know about the situation, then don't ask for change. And our aim was to raise awareness, to you know make them familiar with the situation, and therefore uh, you know just. Uh, ask them to demand, uh, to ask for a uh, change of these discriminatory laws. And we were successful in a way because we understand that, you know, they resist and the, the reaction from the government show that, uh, shows us that we were successful because they, they were very sensitive about women asking for their rights and challenging the discriminatory situation. I think education, the knowledge is very important 
and we need to focus on this. We need to educate women. We need to ask them to, uh, you know, work hard for their rights because, as you know, we are not living in, in any anywhere in the world. We can't claim that women are living in the same situation and with men. Um, let me just go further because I was reading a report uh, just published by the United Nations. I saw that it's, you know in the world is still um, 50 percent of uh, you know sexual assault against girls under the age of 18 happen, and around 603 million women live in countries where domestic violence is not yet considered a crime, and. Uh, you know, 70% of women in the world have experienced physical, sexual violence at some point in their lifetime. And they're saying that there are uh, over 60 million girls under the age of 18 worldwide who are given to marriage by their mm. families. This is the situation, you know, in the world. It doesn't matter Iran, Africa, Afghanistan, you know, whenever mm. we are, but women are not in a good position. Well, Leila, I want to know what, what how, how does education help in this case? And, and I guess that's a conversation we're going to have shortly. Uh, Leila Ali Karami is, uh, of course, joining us on the line, a, a lawyer and human rights activist in Iran. Gail Masondo is uh, on the line f- uh, here in uh, Johannesburg with us. And we are going to be uh, joined by Minister Lulu Nguana from uh, New York in a short while. Uh, it's 8.30 news headlines. Let's get the latest now with the Vibakshi. Thank you, Darshan. Good morning. Taxi commuters have been warned to brace themselves for a hike next month. The South African National Taxi Council says it's strongly considering increasing fares nationwide due to rising fuel prices. The price of petrol rose by 81 cents a litre on Wednesday. And here's a wrap of this morning's top stories. Eight policemen charged over the death of a taxi driver are expected to be seen in public for the first time at the Benoni Magistrates Court today. They were arrested in connection with the death of Mozambican taxi driver Mido Masia in Daviton on Gauteng's East Rand last week. Public Service Minister Lindiwe Sisulu has stepped in to try and avert a nationwide strike by teacher union Satu. The union is intensifying its campaign to oust Basic Education Minister Angie Motsecha following her department's withdrawal of a collective agreement signed in 2011. Wits University is investigating an allegation of sexual harassment involving a staff member and a separate campus inquiry into sexual harassment. And Kenya's presidential race appears to be tightening this morning as Uhuru Kenyatta's lead narrows over his main rival, Prime Minister Raila Odinga. This raises the prospect of a second round runoff in April if Kenyatta doesn't win outright with over 50% of the vote. I'll be back with a full news update at 9. Traffic on SAFM. Well, very good morning. There's been a collision in Johannesburg. Tom William Nickel and uh, Leslie, a vehicle overturning. I understand it's being cleared, but it's causing some very heavy delays. William Nickel south out of four ways. Uh, William Nickel north from Bryanston Drive across the N1 highway up in the four ways. And because William Nickel going over the bridge is heavy, it really is causing uh, really big difficulty, difficulties for motorists trying to get off the highway and onto the William Nickel Drive. The off ramps choked up and the uh, queues back onto the highway. The N1 south, the queue from Baclue interchange. Looks like a bad
bad afternoon traffic flow. Uh, the N1 North from Bayers Nordia. The situation has cleared, so hopefully that traffic will start to flow through, but it will take a while to clear it out. Uh, the Pretoria Main Road from Allendale Road coming down to Maxwell Drive, Baclou. Very heavy there. Contrast that to a reasonably free-flowing N1 this morning through Midrand. So try and stay off the side road and uh, on the main road. And the Mike 1, just sort of between Kalani and the Grayson Drive off-ramp, uh, slow-moving traffic. Across into Durban, the uh, earlier collision at Tolgate Bridge is clear. That's eased the traffic on the N2 south uh, from Umgeni Road. And still some pressure between Umschloti and Umschlunger. Uh, that's on both the M4, the sinkhole route, and the diversionary N2. Queuing traffic both uh, directions still, or, or both routes at least, down towards Umschlunger. And then Cape Town, busy conditions. It's the threat of rain or the fact of rain across Cape Town. Just sees bigger volumes on the roads. All the highways are busy and probably will do, uh, will remain so until about 9.30 this morning. Just extra volume to clear through. There's also an accident on the N2 going outbound just before Yun Smuts Drive and that's put pressure on from the M5. Just give yourself extra time to get through that traffic uh, heading out towards the airport. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, join us in our drive to transform our society and nation. The new age for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only three rand fifty. You're looking so well, Mikey. What's up? Yeah, I went to the new clinic. It has everything, and it's much closer to where I stay. Really? Aha! Our families will get all the medical help they need. Wow! The health and welfare of our people is important to us at Anglo-American Platinum. That is why we work with stakeholders to help construct medical facilities and fund mobile health clinics to provide primary health care for our communities. Anglo-American. Real mining. Real people. Real difference. It is happening yet again. The Speaker of Mpumalanga Provincial Legislature, Mr. S.W. Levisi, invites members of the public to be part of the legislature activities at Dr. Pixliga Isaka CME Local Municipality. The Taking the Legislature to the People program will be taking place as follows. Date, 4th to the 8th of March 2013. Venue, Vuguzaki Stadium at Forecrest. Activities will start daily from 9 a.m. Among the legislature activities to take place will be the debate on the State of the Province Address as delivered by the Honorable Premier, Mr. Didi Mabuza. The legislature settings, public hearings and oral replies by the MECs concerning service delivery around the municipality. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, working together to intensify oversight to foster service delivery. This message was brought to you by the Mpumalanga Provincial Legislature. Great shot, eh? Now let's get down to business. I'm listening. I really need to reduce my operational costs. Well, you should sign up to ESCOM's rebate program for business. That's what we did to save money on our electricity bill. Start saving. Sign up to ESCOM's Energy Efficiency Rebate Program. It's an initiative designed to provide any size business with rebates for switching to energy efficient technologies. Call 0860-375-66 or visit www.escom.co.za forward slash IDM for more information. It pays to switch. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Let's return to our discussion on this International Women's Day. We are joined on the line now by Minister Lulu Tungwana, the Minister of Women, Children and People with Disabilities. As we said, she is in New York attending a very important meeting. Minister, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's about 1 a.m. there, so good morning in, in a different way to you. <laughs> Minister, I, I guess we want to know, why are you in the U.S.? Minister? 50. 57 session of the uh, UN Commission on the Status of Women. 
where we report every year on progress made regarding the Beijing Platform for Action. Have we made progress? Yes, we have um, in a number of uh, uh, areas. Uh, for instance, in the area of representation of women in political decision-making, we are leading uh, in the Commonwealth. We are number three at 44% women in Parliament and 42% women cabinet ministers. Very few countries have achieved that, including big countries like the U.S., the U.K., and others. We have also passed very good legislation, starting off with our constitution, which has uh, in its Bill of Rights an equality clause, which uh, ensures that uh, we have equality uh, irrespective of uh, race, class, sex, gender, and sexual orientation. We have uh, passed, uh, this year's theme, as you would know, is uh, the elimination of violence against women and girls. We have passed all the relevant uh, legislation, including the Domestic Violence Act and uh, the Sexual Offences Act, uh, which has also minimum sentences, for crimes against women and children. Mm. So uh, we have also met some of the Millennium Development Goals, like MDG3, where we have more than 50% girls in our schools, and well, Minister, I'm glad you brought. I'm I'm really glad you raised that point because just before the break, we we did mention that we want to talk a little bit about education. What role does education play in uplifting a, a woman? And not just uh, you know, many say not you don't just uplift a woman when you provide education. You you uplift a generation or generations really. Um, tell us about the role that that education is playing in uplifting the role of women and equality of women in South Africa. Well, uh, education uh, is power. Education ensures that women and their children and families are pulled out of uh, the vicious cycle of poverty that many of our people live in. Uh, Through education, we enable a woman to be independent, to, to know her rights, to enable a woman to be able to stand up and uh, take play a meaningful role in society, be it in politics, if she so chooses, or in the economy, uh, but in society in general. We also believe that uh, women, in fact, research has shown that women who are educated ensure that their children are also educated. But as you so know, Minister, there's, there's, 
There, there are many challenges. I apologize for cutting you off, but okay. there are many challenges in accessing education, and and not just here in South Africa. As we say, it is International Women's Day, so let's look at the challenges globally. It's not just a challenge here in South Africa. Let's just take the, the example in Pakistan: a young 15-year-old girl, uh, a schoolgirl, just trying to get access to education, an activist in her own way. Uh, perhaps it's a good uh, point to bring in Layla into the conversation. Uh, Layla, I know you you're experienced in in talking a little bit about the Middle East. This this was an amazing story and and one of of a young girl really just trying to trying to achieve in the world. Yeah, uh, you bring the good example of Malala. You know, uh, she's yeah. currently in the UK. She uh, underwent several um, surgery, and uh, thank God that she's uh, good and getting better day by mm. day. Uh, and in an interview she gave, she thanked all the people and saying that the God gave her a new life. And it was really, really interesting and, and interesting that this young girl was saying that I want to serve. I want to serve the people. I want to every girl, uh, every child to be educated. You know, you need to be from that part of the world, from the Middle East, to understand what, what you know, the important rule of education. Education is the key. Is the key that you can challenge the patriarchy. You know, you say that I'm a woman and I know about my rights. I know that, you know, anybody can cannot violate my rights. This is very important because mm. when women are not aware of the situation, they are not aware of the rights that they have, they cannot challenge it. Challenge it, and we see that Malala is not the only girl. There's so mm. many girls around the Middle East, in Afghanistan, in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, and in many other countries that are fighting for the basic right, education. Yeah, it's a basic right, but the, you know, at the same time, is the key. And we need to focus on this because with this, and I, I, I can bring also example of Iran. You know, this is long. Around 33 years that the government are fighting with Iranian women to get them back to, to home. But they are not going back because they are educated. As I said, 65% of the university students are women. Mm. It means that when women are educated, they became aware of the situation. When they are mm. out, they are in public life. It's not possible to get them back to the private sphere, which is family, and where most violence against women happens. You know, this is the important, uh, the importance of education. Gail, I know this is also an issue close to your heart. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talked. We talked a little bit about uh, you dealing with sarcoidosis, but we never got to really the the the, the best part of the story, which is uh, not just your recovery from the disease, but then you wanting to give a little bit back. And you started the Brown Sugar Project, and and you really sp- you spoke about your need to empower women with with the, mm-hmm. not just not just knowledge, but but just self esteem, loving themselves as well. Yeah, I, I, I was sitting here thinking and, and listening to um, our two guests. Um, education, there, there is a university education which, which uh, uh, gives us opportunity to be part and parcel of, you know, the global market society. But the education that I would like to talk about um, is not in isolation of just women, but men and women coming together to speak about the crisis that we're involved in. Um, before Brown Sugar Dreams, which is a project that um, another black American that lives here in South Africa, Skylar Goodson, and I started, it was to take the tool of play 
We asked our friends in the United States, please send us. At that time, we found very few brown baby dolls in our stores. And so we know that it, when a child is, is preschool and, and early uh, primary age, um, what you associate with influences how you see yourself. And we recognize that if a, if a little girl child could not see herself in play, if all she could see was the Barbie dolls, the blonde hair, blue-eyed, anatomically incorrect, you know, Barbie doll, then, mm. then that is her desire to become. And so the educational part was to say, no, you're beautiful. You're brown skin. You're created in the image, what we believe in the image of God. And so you're a beautiful little girl. And to be able to work on that self-esteem part, because when you don't know your value, then, um, then you are, you put yourself in situations where violence can happen. Mm -hmm. That's not for everybody, but I'm talking about the, the, the idea of you choose the wrong mate. You choose the wrong career when you don't have a good sense of yourself, who you are, who you were created to be. And so Brown Sugar Dreams took on um, that role. We, we have found more brown babies um, within the country now. But one other project that we were involved in was Easy Lilo. And out of E.C. Lilo, Mother's Cry, um, that project um, brought about a, a family abuse prevention center that's in, that's in Protea Glen now called COPSA, and that is run by Dr. Nobs Mwanda, who has over 25 years of experience in child abuse, children and child abuse. And I suppose that that's one of the projects that I'm really, really proud of is that that project began out of conversations. We were having conversations with mothers about what's going on, why are we leaving our children with, with, with intoxicated uncles or fathers. Then there was a conversation with the male child, and the male child said to us, we don't have any role models, you know, we, yeah. we, we, within our communities that really sit and talk to us as, uh, as young men. And then we spoke to, um, you know, faith-based um, communities. Um, out of that, uh, I think, in, you know, in the states I grew up with, Mother Witch, Streetwise, there's all types of education. Um, and that comes out of community conversations coming together. Um, you have a wonderful word here in South Africa. We say indaba. I love that word because it, it brings people together, and people come together to discuss how can we change this. Well, Gail, I want to this pick up on one of the points changed. that uh, I want to pick up one of the points that that you raised. How can we change this? Well, perhaps it's it's the earlier conversation that you, we were having. Uh, you know, are there enough good role models in society, not just for women, but for men to emulate uh, other good behavior by men. Uh, Minister Lulu Nguana, of course, uh, joining us on the line from New York. Uh, Minister, again, thank you for joining us. I know it's very early in the morning for you, uh, and we do appreciate it. But are, are there any good stories that you can give us today? Are there any anecdotal stories, of, of, of inspirational stories of, of women doing good work? Well, I think we have uh, a lot of uh, those stories. Um, we have um, uh, women uh, who have dedicated their lives to uh, ensure that uh, our country is free today. We have a woman that I have always admired, uh, like um, Salot Makaike, who was uh, the first African uh, woman graduate 
In fact, she was the first African to qualify with a Bachelor of Science degree in South Africa, and that was way back in 1900. She came to America to study at the University of Wilberforce, where she met her future husband, Reverend Matlake. She went back home uh, in those old colonial and very difficult uh, times, and she plowed back to her people. She started establishing schools in uh, Petersburg. She established schools around Johannesburg, Alexandra, and also in the Eastern Cape. She organized women into small groups initially uh, to do self-help projects, what she called Zen Vele, and at the end of the day was able to mobilize those women to fight against the past laws during the colonial system. You can only imagine how difficult it was in those years to mobilize and organize women to stand up against authorities. Well, Minister, she we was are one been... of the first women to go to Parliament and meet with the then Prime Minister and say no to past laws. So she had a huge following of women and was finally elected the president of the Women's uh, uh, League, but later also of the African National Council of African Women. Minister Lulu Nguana joining us on the line. We wish you uh, good luck today at the uh, Commission on the Status of Women in the meeting at the United Nations. Of course, Minister Nguana, the uh, Minister of Women, Children and People with Disability, joining us on this International Women's Day as uh, we speak to you for the uh, Forum at 8. We do have some callers coming through, 891 uh, Urban in George. Uh, good morning, Urban. Hello. Hi, good morning, Urban. How are you? Uh, yes, I'm fine with you. Very quiet. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, we can hear you nice and clear. Uh, wonderful. Look, it's International Women's Day, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had it brought to our attention that women are being used as a cash cow by the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, if somebody uh, approaches you, or if you, you approach someone, you find you have lumps, for instance, on your body, check first that the individual involved has taken the Hippocratic Oath, as some doctors today haven't, and then I wouldn't acknowledge them as doctors. And secondly, ask them if they've heard of the International Breast Cancer Symposium, uh, 27th International Breast Cancer Symposium held in San Antonio, Texas, which recommended that people keep away from uh, such cruel treatments as chemo and radiation and so on, because treated cells flee the affected area to seed trouble elsewhere in the body, perhaps in three months or some years after initial exposure. This report is readily available. We're not kept informed. Mm-hmm. And further to that, it's pointed out that untreated patients and patients using natural methods of treatment were more likely to live beyond the five-year barrier than those whose immune systems had been damaged. Please check to see if they're damaging your immune system with drugs mm-hmm. which make you comfortable mm-hmm. instead of getting at the base of the thing. Colon, cancer, 
uh, President Reagan, Reagan got rid of by visiting Germany and taking thermal treatment not recognized by the rest of the West. Uh, it's a $270 billion a year industry, unfortunately. William, thank you very much for calling in. We do have to leave it there with you, William and George. Uh, thanks for that. Some, uh, some health advice there, women uh, used by pharmaceutical companies, uh, alleging mm-hmm. that by uh, William. Let's uh, go back to, we've got another caller on the line. In fact, uh, another guest that we were trying to arrange uh, to join us on on the show, uh, Nana, Nana Bulujwa uh, is a journalist in the Democratic Republic on the Congo and uh, a radio producer. Nana, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Yes, hello. Yes, good morning. Nana, I wanted to ask you, so what, what are some of the stories that come out of the DRC reporting on women? Do you see equality, gender equality in, in DRC? I'm listening to you so far have some noise, but what I can say is, um, for these days is uh, that I, I need um, uh, to say to you what is happening here. Uh, some uh, uh, women wear traditional clothes, but I think we have to understand um, the sign, the signification of uh, these days because it's a special day for us uh, to say, so far to say, um, we, you know that the DRC is uh, a, a difficult. We have a difficult uh, situation uh, because of about the war. But you, we can uh, count some women. We are very, very courageous, and um, our country has a difficulties economic. But we, if you you live in the DRC, you can see the women are the chief of the, his family, and it's so good. But we have some some challenge to do. Nana Bulujwa is... Hello? Hi, Nana. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Nana is a DRC journalist and radio producer joining us uh, from Kinshasa. I appreciate that. Uh, and, of course, we do appreciate her comments on the show today. Let's uh, try and wrap up with, with uh, our guests, of course, this morning, as we've just got a couple of minutes left on the show. Uh, Gail Masondo and uh, Leila uh, Ali Karami are joining us in London as well. Leila, I, I, you know, I wanted to start off with you, and I guess, you know, what would be it would be nice to, to end off a show like this with, with a bit of hope and is there hope for, for gender equality not just in South Africa, not just in Africa but, but throughout the globe through the work of, of people like yourself and others and, and even the United Nations who are meeting today as well Yes, sure we, you know, there is hope because as we discussed during the last time uh, women are uh, women and men are uh, you know, aware and they be, this is the a most important thing that happened, we need hard work to reach the gender equality. But there, there, there has been so many things have done, and uh, we should be hopeful. Uh, and uh, yes, why not? Because we reach a, a level now with, with the struggle that we had for many years. Women achieve uh, so many rights, uh, but um, there is still a long way to go to achieve gender equality, but I see that will happen. This will happen for sure. 
Mm. Every year, the United Nations sets these uh, International Women's Day, sets a theme for it. Uh, last year was empowering rural women, ending hunger and poverty. This year is the gender agenda gaining momentum. Uh, some, you know, the critics may say we we never really fully realize any of these themes or any of these goals. Can we really have hope, Layla? Yes, because you know, as as I told, um, th- 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 this is a time for action. You know, we we reach the stage, we get some kind of power, we get some uh, rights, and now it's time for action. And the important thing is that you know everybody knowledge this, everybody are aware about the problem. This is one of the main uh, things that we need to be hopeful because we know where is the problem. And we need to take the action. Leila, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Leila Ali Karami is a lawyer and human rights activist in London, working especially on gender equity in Iran. Leila, do appreciate your thoughts this morning. Gail, I'd like to give you the last word. Gail Masando again. Is, is there hope for us? Do you have some closing thoughts for us? Yeah, you know, um, tomorrow an international day this weekend tomorrow and Sunday is the international day of prayer and um, when all else fails it generally we use prayer as kind of the end result as opposed to the front runner we need wisdom we need wisdom to understand really the plight of our situation and we need wisdom to understand how to move forward and to move forward with relevancy and intentional moving forward um, Again, you know, when you go to a hospital, uh, gynecology ward, you find there are more girl babies being born um, every month. For me, that's a sign that we need to continue. And we need to, to fight for the rights of dignity. Um, and we need to we need to respect ourselves first. If I if I could speak to the 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 girl child, mm. meaning the young adult woman. Mm. Um, the single parent, the single parent, the the the, the unmarried young woman, um, to take hold of the fact that uh, you are wonderfully and and creatively made, and that you can stand, you can stand for um, the right of being treated with respect and honor. And and for those, you know, I, I just realized maybe a few months ago that we have child brides here in South Africa, and that really saddened me. And I also realized a few years ago, you know, we have um, we have a good number of women that represent our parliament in South Africa, mothers, aunties, grandmothers. And um, so we can make change. We can make policy change um, that would benefit the whole. So hope... There's always hope, um, but there's always the challenge of making hope real for the next generation, and should the Lord tarry the generation after that. So I would like to invite mothers, mothers, daughters, friends, aunties, grandmothers, wherever you are tomorrow, um, wherever you are on Sunday, to lift up a prayer of thanksgiving first and then to ask God for wisdom and guidance 
and then for us to be willing to be led. Gail Nisondo, thank you very much for joining us, an experienced uh, speaker and author. Thanks to the team for uh, this morning's edition of uh, the show. Misho Shandlale, Tracy Boomgaard, Simon Gile Ntlapo, and Wasani Makubela, senior producers Lungile Mabaso and Zinat Abdul, technical producer Mark Preller, forum at A, producers Jake McCormo and Mandisa Ngelu, chief producer Buzilo Kote, executive producers Aubrey Sachi and Busi Chane. I'm Dasha Midli. Have yourself a great uh, weekend. Uh, Nolani's back with you on Monday. Bye-bye.